0: you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. You know, I'm constantly amazed at the lightning speed of new technology, specifically in our industry that's disrupting and revolutionizing the way we do business. So I'm super excited to introduce Mr. Kirk Moriello, who is the co-founder and president of a platform called Virturant. Now, Virturant allows you to set up a virtual ghost kitchen within your existing kitchen, and then suddenly increase sales by casting a broader net. Suddenly you have 10, 12, 15, or more different brands that all sell The very same or similar menu items, depending on your day part, you can do breakfast, lunch, dinner, or all three, all marketed through third-party delivery platforms under different brand names that all have appeal to the consumer. Best of all, it doesn't cost the restaurant the fees the delivery fees are passed on to the customer who's more than happy to pay the fees because of the convenience and they're never sure where the food is coming from they think this brand that brand the next brand is actually creating the food it's pretty remarkable they're expanding quickly across the country you're not going to want to miss this episode so stay tuned Welcome back, everyone, to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. As you know, engaging topics that help restaurants build their brands, rock their profits, deliver amazing guest service experiences. Well, this topic is all about building brands. With me today, Mr. Kirk Moriello. He is the president and co-founder of a company called Virturant, which is a really exciting concept. Now, Kirk, welcome to the show, first of all.
1: Thank you, Roger. It's nice to be here
0: so i first met you we had a virtual restaurant show about two weeks ago and uh, it was really well attended and your presentation kind of knocked my socks off and i said you are the perfect guest for this podcast because wow what a way to increase sales increase awareness and sort of uh, extend the reach of a concept so that's really what virtual is about but before we get into the ins and outs of that Tell me a little bit about your backstory. Did you work as a dishwasher in your teenager years in high school? Did you work at a McDonald's? Did you work as a gentleman? Like, what's your story in hospitality? And then after you answer that, tell me about how this idea for Virtuant came about.
1: Sure, sure. So actually in high school, I, uh, I worked in a pizza restaurant um, as a delivery driver. That was about all I knew about food. Uh, I uh, went to college in New York at Pace University uh graduated there and I moved to Chicago and ended up in the electrical distribution business uh, for a number of years. And in 2010, um, I joined the Aurelios Pizza Group uh, in Chicago uh, as their director of franchising and then eventually became the COO there uh, and then stayed there until 2015. I left in 2015 and that was my first experience in the restaurant business. Right. With actually running operations and understanding how a restaurant works as opposed to just delivering pizzas. Right.
0: Well, you know, Uh, both of those things come to mind because there's a delivery aspect to this that we're certainly going to get into. But then there's certainly the whole operations that sort of led your experience has led to this concept. So that's exactly what I'm hearing and seeing.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and so after I, I left Aurelio's, I had a, a, a partnership with uh a, we bought a group called uh, Honey Jam Cafes from the Portillo Restaurant Group here in Chicago, which is a big hot dog brand. Then uh, they've taken it national now. Um, and so what we were able to do there is I really got into the operations of how a restaurant really operates as opposed to a pizza restaurant. Pizza restaurants are a little bit different in that they're very focused on one type particular product. And then the, uh, the breakfast and lunch concepts were much more, uh, vast in the uh, menu items and the operational, uh, needs of that, those particular restaurants. And you weren't dealing with young kids. So it became a different model because it was a, it was a morning and afternoon where kids are in school. So you had all adults. So it was a little bit of a di- different model. And that's when I, uh, got introduced to Uber. Um, Uber had, uh, initially announced to go into the suburbs in Chicago, and we became their first uh, partner in the breakfast lunch concept of delivery. And I was very uh, amiss about it. In other words, I was like, this isn't gonna work. Who's gonna buy breakfast online? Well, the first year we did $200,000 in Uber. And I was like, okay, they're onto something here. Um, We need to figure out how to make this work down the road.
0: What year was that again, Kirk? That
1: was in 2016.
0: Okay, because this is a fascinating tidbit of information here. Being the first, you're groundbreaking. It's like, okay, I'm a little skeptical. Is this going to work? And then as we've seen, you know, it just went exploded. So
1: yeah, yeah. and and you understand, like, I completely understood that like a pizza place or a Chinese food restaurant or things that were typical delivery type of businesses would be very successful with it. Uh And then, you know, Chili's and, and those type of dinner restaurants were joining in. I never thought breakfast would be, but breakfast was huge. The amount of people that ordered breakfast delivered to their homes was, it it just blew my mind. And I was like, oh, there's something about this delivery and this convenience concepts that really makes a lot of sense.
0: Fantastic. That's that's fantastic. Let's talk about the technology itself. Now, how does that allow a restaurant or a ghost kitchen sort of to receive orders from different brands? That's really the key here that we're talking about. Tell us all about how it works.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the, these uh, virtual brands and virtual kitchens and ghost kitchens, you know, all the words are kind of synonymous. They're a little yep. bit different in, the, in their functioning, but they're really synonymous in how it actually works. The technology really drives it. Um, you couldn't do this five years ago because the technology wasn't there. And now you have uh, technology where you could have one tablet in your restaurant and every brand will flow to that tablet and printer. So you don't need to have a separate tablet for each third-party delivery company you don't have to have a separate tablet for each brand within the third-party delivery companies so for instance five years ago if you had five brands
0: you, needed you would five, have 20 yeah. tablets oh that's crazy right <laughs> i know yeah. i've heard restaurants complain about this it's like how do you keep it all straight there's obviously screw-ups that are going to happen there's just too much hardware sitting around
1: yes and so the technology has gotten better where it's all consolidated now. And it all flows through APIs and the electronic formats that these third-party delivery companies already have in place. Mm-hmm. And other companies have come into the business. Uh, we use a company called Kubo uh, for ours. But there's a couple other companies out there, Otter and OrderMark are the other companies that kind of fulfill that that uh, consolidation uh, of the tablets. Uh, some are They, they each have their, their pros and cons to it. Uh, but they're all getting better and better as the third-party delivery companies are realizing it's beneficial for them because they're not spending all this money on these tablets now. I mean, think about the cost savings for them. They're not shipping out tablets to every store anymore. Like our our brands, no tablets get sent to them.
0: So a lot of our audience are old school, traditional bricks and mortar operators. You know, I mean, our audience runs the gamut. We got general managers, we got restaurant owner operators, we got franchise operators, but again, old school mom and pop operators all over the place. And not everyone really is familiar with that term ghost kitchen. Can you define what that means?
1: Yeah. So there's a, there's a couple of different ways of defining it. Like a ghost kitchen in, in the typical uh, uh, definition of it would be that you open up a location a a brick and mortar location that then you run different brands out of that location for third-party delivery on third-party delivery apps or your own website, things like that. Mm -hmm. But you have the brick and mortar that you're doing it. Virtual kitchens can be a ghost kitchen location or it could be any restaurant location or facility that has the ability to commercially cook, right? So, And the way it works is that the virtual brands may be a brand that doesn't exist at all in brick and mortar, but it only exists in the virtual world and online, and those ghost kitchens or regular kitchens, you know, regular restaurants can perform the cooking of that food for those virtual brands as the orders come in. So complete incremental sales every time. And since what we do with Virtron is we went to market and we went to the local restaurants in different towns. And that's how we market it. And we bring it to those, those businesses to bring incremental sales to their particular business and they get a dedicated territory. So every order within a three, five, six, seven mile radius comes to them for that particular brand. And so it just opens up a whole world of orders that they didn't have before. And the brands are designed to work within the operations, not change your operations to run the brands. So it's not like franchising, it's licensing. So you're licensing the ability to, to, to fulfill these, these orders. And that's the function of the, of the restaurant and the restaurant partner.
0: So is it one common menu across multiple brands? Let's just say you got a breakfast and a lunch place and I want to start working as a partner with Virturant and I on my exclusive territory. I want to increase my incremental sales and all that stuff sounds amazing. Do I need multiple menus for breakfast and lunch for different brands? Are there similarities? Is it one concept that gets marketed to 10 or 15 different brands? How does that work? Yeah.
1: So, so take it, when you go into a, a typical breakfast, lunch restaurant, you'll see a menu and the menu will have French toast, pancakes, omelets, uh, eggs, Benedict, sandwiches, soups, all kinds of things, right? right so every right. brand, every restaurant brand that we have is designed around the specific food. So as you can see in my background here, uh, you'll see sunrise burritos, right? Yes, and sunrise yeah. burritos are just breakfast burritos. So, Everything, every menu item is designed to work within the ingredients that that particular restaurant has. In other words, we want it to flow. We don't want you to have to stop your line in the middle of a busy day on a Sunday and say, oh, how are we going to make this burrito? So the brands are designed to work within that flow so that the kitchen doesn't feel anything. It's just more orders. That's it. Um, and, and that's a, that's a very key point to this because yes, I see that a lot of, a lot of virtual brands out there require you to buy their ingredients, require you to buy their packaging, require you to buy all these things. And now you have a big investment, but you also have the operational issues that come with it right? And that now my guy's got to figure out what package do I put it in? What is it? Is it an order for this? Is it an order for that? Is it a specific type of item? Do I have to prep a lot of things ahead of time now and find room on the, on the line? And we kind of took that out of the process with, with, uh, virtual brands. We made it so that there's little to no prep at all on items. Uh, and we make everything. So it's, it's kind of a, I, I call it a, a fast, fresh food concepts, right? They're, they're all made fresh. But they can be made very fast.
0: That's incredible. Let's talk about the packaging. Do we does a ghost kitchen or a bricks and mortar operation need 10 or 15 different branded containers depending on where the order came in from? And how do we keep track of all that?
1: Well, with Vertron brands, they don't. With some of our competitors in the marketplace, they do depending on the type of brand it is. And you've seen brands that have brand names on them. And they, right. those right. those companies require certain packaging. With Virturon, we don't require that. So what we do is we've designed everything so that it fits within three or four different packaging items, sizes. Mm-hmm. They're generic in size, and then we give a spec on them. So the, the restaurant operator can choose this particular item, and find the spec on it. And then we have a a restaurant partner, a a fulfillment partner in the distribution world, a performance food group that stocks all these items for them. So if they're a performance food group customer, it's very easy. If they're not a performance food group customer, we bring a performance food group rep in there. And if they can help them out, that's great. But if they wanna use whoever they wanna
0: use, that's okay too. Fantastic. Guys, take it from me. From one operator to another, I'll tell it to you straight. Nobody likes greasy pots and pans and I want to keep my dish guys happy. So we upgraded to Dawn Professional Pot and Pan. Dawn Professional cleans 58% more pots and pans per sink than our old soap, the so-called leading competitor. Less dish soap means fewer sink changeovers and a happier dish crew. Try Dawn Professional in your place. It's clean, upgraded. Again, I'm going to go back to Putting my operator hat on and I'm listening to this podcast and I'm interested in partnering with Bertrand. So do you take a look at the existing menu and say, yes, this will work? No, that won't work. And you kind of simplify and consolidate and, you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So there's, 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 there's a little bit of a process that goes with it. So the first thing we do is we, 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 we vet the location, right? So yeah. we want to do a, a demographic breakdown of the location. We want to make sure that the radius that we're gonna give them. Because if you're in the city, you might have a one mile radius, but if you're in the suburbs, you might have seven miles, you might have five miles, right? So we wanna make sure we have that. We wanna capture the number of households and the population so that we know that no matter what brands they take, they will be successful in that there's a, there's a large enough market for it, right? And it's very surprising how the markets all, some markets seem like they wouldn't be great and they end up being fantastic and some, so there's no rhyme or reason why it is, but it is sheer number of people that you really weren't looking for, right? Then within that, what we do is we take a look at the brands and we work with, the, with each individual operator, a uh, fulfillment partner, we call them. And we say, okay, what are the brands that you'd like to go with? Here are the brands that are very popular. Here are the brands that do, you know, are, are the same ingredients. So it's nice, you might as well have it on your, have that menu out there too, because it's all the same exact ingredients. You're just maybe making it a little bit different with a different protein, right? Like, so, you know, burgers and chicken sandwiches and Sloppy Joe's all use the same exact ingredients, except for the protein. So all you have to do is bring the protein in. And if you already have that protein, perfect. If you don't have that protein, you can, you can decide to bring that in. And then we customize the menu to some degree. Um, I call it semi-customization. So we customize it. So we have maybe the, item, the menu has seven main menu items, but one of them requires hummus and the store doesn't have hummus. Well, we can remove that menu item so that they're not bringing in hummus and taking a chance of wasting it, right? Because you want to keep waste down. You want to make sure totally. that the, the, the system is as profitable as possible for yep. the operator.
0: Cross utilization is one of the common, you know, tenants of running a strong restaurant to minimize the waste and the spoilage. You know, using multiple ingredients across multiple dishes, not bringing something in just because you got one item that requires, you know, lobster fraps. Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, you made it very clear that you stumbled across this sort of breakfast lunch opportunity that no one was really thinking about. Are there any plans in the future to expand into dinner concepts, so or right now you got all the business you can handle just with breakfast and lunch?
1: No, we we actually have uh, twenty different brands now. So we oh, you're, have you're doing dinner. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. We we just expanded the breakfast side because we felt that the breakfast side was. I knew the breakfast business from being in it, right. and I felt that that was a, there was a there was a missed opportunity there in the market. So we decided to to uh, focus a lot on that, but we also focused on the dinner side of it, too. So the the most ideal customer for us is the 24-hour restaurant. Oh, right? yeah, right, right, They have everything in the ingredients. They run as many hours as possible. And then the, the second uh, uh, best uh, uh, fulfillment partner for us is someone that does three-day parts, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, your typical diner or family type of restaurant that might be open from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock at night, right? Yes. And then and then breakfast, lunch concepts and uh, lunch, dinner concepts become uh, good, good partners for the brands. And the way we operate is we give a dedicated territory to the particular fulfillment partner or operator for a brand within their operating hours. All right. So, for instance, if we have a restaurant in, let's just pick uh, uh, Homewood, Illinois, that's open from seven o'clock to two o'clock every day for breakfast and lunch. Whatever brands they choose, they have the they have the exclusive rights to sell that brand and every order will go to them within those operating hours. Mm-hmm. But after two o'clock in the afternoon, they're closed. So we can have another restaurant partner that also has those brands, but their orders only come in from two o'clock on. See? So we want to get the brands into the market as much as possible. So now we have the ability to have multiple partners within the territory based on the hours of operation.
0: I'm getting the sense that, well, let me back up a second. COVID has sort of turn this online ordering thing into a must have for operators like it has increased their sales it has increased convenience it has increased safety it's like all this kind of stuff has become a new normal during the COVID pandemic, and it'll continue into the future once the pandemic's long gone. So online ordering is basically at the core of what you do. Have you been able to track the percentage of sales increase in restaurants based on working with Berturant from what they had before? And what percentage is now all these different brands versus their original brand?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, every restaurant's a little bit different in that, you know their their current sales are different at every level, right? Depending on the restaurant, depending on their hours, depending on what they're doing. What 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 our brands tend to bring in is anywhere from five hundred dollars a week to two thousand, three thousand dollars a week per brand, uh, depending on the operator, how many hours they're operating. So there's some there's some different uh, uh, points that fall, you know, different uh, status uh, discussion points that fall into that. In that we have you know, the hours of operation can make a difference. So um, we're, we're actually going to have our first 24-hour diner on board uh, today, uh, believe it or not. Uh, they, they will be go live today, and it'll be our first one in the country. So it'll be very interesting to see what those sales look like, because we don't have one that operates like that. Right. Um, right. But when you look at breakfast-lunch concepts, you know, we have some restaurants that do $40,000 a month additional sales. Uh, And we have some restaurants that do 6,000 a month additional sales. Just depends on the number of brands they have, their operating hours. So it's kind of all over the place. But it's all incremental sales. That's the best part for them. And it's done at a, at a, a very good profitable margin because of the way we price our menus in the market. A typical restaurant, when Grubhub and DoorDash and Uber Eats came into the marketplace, went to those restaurants and said, okay, join us. We'll get you incremental sales that you didn't have. And you got to pay a 30% of that, that amount Correct. and the restaurants, but, but it took away 30% of the profit yep. margin.
0: Yep, exactly.
1: So what we've been able to do at virtual restaurants is we're able to, our menus don't exist anywhere, but online. So what we're able to do is we're able to price the market with the third party delivery apps as part of our cost model, which normal your your brick and mortar restaurants have never done that. Nope. They're starting to do it now, though, as you've read recently how Chipotle and a lot of the big brands are now charging different prices online than they do when you walk in their store, because they, they figured it out that the consumer is willing to pay for that convenience.
0: Yeah. So there's really no price resistance based on that convenience factor. And, you know, that would have been an original sort of a concern of an operator before, but it's been proven that, yeah, that convenience costs extra and Is it well known or is it marketed that this is sort of a third party thing aside from the restaurant brand? Like if I'm a regular customer to Joe's breakfast and lunch joint and then they suddenly start partnering with Virturant, is all that happening behind the scenes or is it sort of public knowledge after a certain point? How does that work? Well,
1: yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, when, When everybody first started virtual brands and ghost kitchens and stuff, nobody wanted anybody to know what they were doing. Right, it was very because it was so new, it was it was you was was stealth, right? Like, I'm operating these brands, this one's. But the reality that's happened is that the brands are good and the food is good. So, some operators we don't require the operators to do any marketing or anything, that's our job, that's what we do as part of our commission structure. So, what we do is we say, if you'd like to market it and you'd like to say you're doing this, you're welcome to. If you don't and you want to operate stealth, that's okay too. But it's very interesting because most of the restaurants tend to then move. They grab. They start off as that. I'm just going to do it in my back. No, one, no one's going to know. We'll fulfill the orders from the back. It's not associated with my brand. And then all of a sudden, things take off. And now they want people to know because they become better known for, for all kinds of food coming out of the restaurant. Of
0: course.
1: And, and these customers that are ordering online, these brands, are not going into a restaurant to eat. So there is a differentiation point. When you're going out to eat, you plan to go out to eat. You plan to do all these things. You you pick the hours that you're normally going to eat. And everybody normally eats from 1130 to one o'clock lunch, from five o'clock to seven o'clock dinner. Those are the typical hours that we've all been trained throughout our lives to eat with it. Well, online, it's a whole different world. It's a convenience factor. It's I need something now. My stomach's growling. I need to order. I don't want to drive anywhere. I want to order. So it gives these restaurants an opportunity to gain these customers that would never be coming into their restaurant on that particular day. And they may never come into their restaurant at all. Right. Right? But at least in that particular time period, in that particular day, at that particular moment, they're not coming to your restaurant. So now you have an opportunity to gain some sales without having to have have that out there. And your brand might be great online, but how great is it to have 10 more brands that come to your restaurant?
0: It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, that's the power of it right there. Like that's in a nutshell why our listeners should be paying attention right now, because, again, everyone wants to increase sales. They're typical, you know way to do that is to increase their marketing budget and to spend and so many restaurants that I'm aware of that I worked with as clients and just nationally, it's like, there's this mindset, Oh, I got to spend thousands of dollars on radio and print and TV and all this stuff that you can't track the ROI. And now you have a marketing channel that doesn't cost the restaurant. It just brings in incremental sales as a partner. You get an exclusive territory and you're expanding your reach huge. Like that's, that's unbelievable.
1: Well, you know, when I was in the restaurant business, one of the hardest things to do for any restaurateur or any restaurant, uh, especially a local restaurant is the marketing. It's also the first thing they cut in their budget when sales go down,
0: right? Because it's
1: because they, because it's not an employee. It's not a job. It's not, it's, and they tend to do it. I mean, I'm going to be frank. Go for it. Restaurant, restaurant owners are the worst at marketing. (laughs) Okay. That's why they need companies to help them and they're just not good at it. And if they try to do it on their own, they, they do it in their spare time, right? They're running a restaurant. You're running an operation. You don't have time. And if you don't put the dedicated time to it and you don't have a consistency to it, it doesn't work. So what we found is that by putting our brands out there, we took the marketing away and says, guys, you don't have to do any of the marketing, All right? And and of course, that's a great idea from a restaurant owner standpoint. I don't have to market this and it's going to come in. And then we utilize, we, we built relationships with the third-party delivery companies to have what's, we have what's called enterprise relationships. So we, we, we're we in a different group within those uh, third-party delivery channels in that our brands show up more often. Our brands sit at the top of the lists, uh because we have marketing people within those groups that do the marketing for us. And they make sure that our brands show up in certain spots. So one of the things that everybody feels as a restaurant owner is, you know, that you, I'm sure you've talked to restaurant owners and say, oh, I got 15%, you know, charge from Uber. That's great. Well, guess what? You're on page nine, though. So you're not getting any orders, right? You're not getting new customers that are seeing your brand. You're not getting the benefit of that. So we pay the highest rates in the business because we want to be in the best spots, right? But again, we built our pricing model with that in mind already, where the restaurant is trying to save the 15% because they didn't price their model online the same way they price in their restaurant. So they're losing money there. Mm, And what these third-party delivery companies do is they're they're utilizing you as a local restaurant to have your your regular customers ordering from you online in the long run, and they're not coming into your restaurant. They're now doing stuff more. So we've all seen that. Foot traffic has gone down in restaurants, and online ordering has gone up. Well, the customers are still ordering your food, possibly, through your online, but now you're paying somebody else to do that. Right, so it it became a it became a model that became very tough. And, and like I said, as Chipotle and those companies have figured out, we have to charge differently online to make up for those costs. We we can't we can't absorb those costs into our business model.
0: Are your delivery partners all the major? You know, the Uber Eats, the Grubhubs, the DoorDashes? Do you work with all of them? Do you have yes. sort of a majority? Yeah, the four with the four
1: some? the four majors. Yes. So we work with Uber, uh, Grubhub, Hub, and Postmates. Postmates.
0: Uh, as well.
1: U- Uber and Postmates just merged. So, uh, all of our brands will now be on the Postmates platforms now that we can, um, they can, uh, well, everything was on Uber already and now they can yeah. transfer to, to Postmates. So we're not spending a lot of technology time getting brands up and running.
0: No. You told me something earlier and it may have come up in that virtual show we did, but you have this concept that you call fishing with a net where, you know, 10 to 14 different brands equate to something like 40 to 50 different storefronts. Explain that a little bit more in detail.
1: Yeah. So, so storefronts by definition are a restaurant location online. All right. So a brand, you know, Joe's Tacos, that's a restaurant. Yes, that's a storefront online. Uh, Sunrise Burritos is a storefront online. They're the same online. They're different when it comes to brick and mortar, but they're mm-hmm. the same when they're online. So what we do is every one of these brands is on all four delivery platforms. So if you have ten brands that you're running, right? Which ten brands is basically one big menu for a restaurant, because it's individual by by food type, yes. right? So you're not you're not reinventing the wheel and creating. 50 different items, you're taking one item and you're, you're taking like, uh, summarized burritos and you're making a burrito five different ways with the ingredients you already have. It's not, there's, you're not doing burritos and then doing pancakes and then doing sandwiches and do all on the one menu. It's very focused for the customer too. So what ends up happening there is that we now have every one of these brands is now on four platforms. So now you have the ability to get an order from four different restaurant locations for each brand, depending on what platform the third-party delivery uh, apps that people are using. The next phase is that we've now put this into our our own um, websites by brand. And you can go to those websites. So now we can market, and this is what we're gonna be doing next, is we're gonna be marketing our websites through social media so people can look at the brand, click and order directly from those sites. And DoorDash, Grubhub, or Uber deliver the food. So there's different ways. So we're going to be doing that marketing because we want to force the brands and we want to get the brands more recognition in the market so that consumers, when they go to it, will find it and and want to order. And again, because you have a dedicated territory, from wherever that person is ordering from, your restaurant gets that order at that time.
0: I get how the exposure shows up on these third-party delivery platforms. I get what you just said. Maybe I missed the one piece about Joe's Breakfast and Lunch Place has a regular website now. Is, does it stay the same? Does it somehow connect to the different virtual brands? Are they no, all individual he, web presences?
1: So, so the, 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 the restaurant who becomes the fulfillment partner might have yes. their brand, and we'll say Joe's, right? Yep,
0: correct. So
1: Joe's might have his presence online. Our brands look the same way as his does, but he's only got one brand. Yep. He has Joe's. So if you don't see Joe's or you're not looking for Joe's or you're not searching for it or he's on page nine, he's not going to get an order. Very similar to the way Amazon works, right? When you go on Amazon, everybody orders on Amazon. On page one is where everybody orders. If you're on page two, the, there's very few orders because people don't go to the next page. Sure. So you always want to no be on the to. top. Yeah. So we pay to be in those spots. We pay the marketing to be in those spots. We pay for those things within the third-party apps to make sure that our brands are showing up. We have some towns where I have a, I have a restaurant in uh, in one town in the, in, in, uh, the Georgia area that does 12 of our brands and of the top 20 brands that show up on the app when you go into it just to look at brands 12 of them are ours so that restaurant gets anybody that orders from any of those brands he gets the order so
0: this whole thing started in chicagoland but i just heard georgia where else are you and are you expanding nationally across the country
1: yeah yeah so we started in chicago We, we decided to do something a little different than our competitors were doing in the market we decided to concentrate in one market and and really build out that market so that the branding we could do better marketing we could do billboard we could do radio we could do with different with different brands if we wanted to so in the chicago market we have i think we have 45 partners now in the chicago market restaurants and we cover about uh, 5.6 million customers okay with those those restaurants and there's about 11 million people in the chicagoland market so we're about halfway through filling that market with the brands right so and and you can see how the math works right you want to make sure that your brand is available right? right and delivery makes it easier because if you were building out franchises you'd have to put a brick and mortar place everywhere and it would take years we did it in 4 months okay <laughs> by bringing restaurant partners on and bringing a whole new model to somebody during covid which yeah. was, which was very important during covid but this model works COVID just supercharged and made, made it easier for me to sell it to somebody and say, hey, this is great. We were selling it before and it was working. It wasn't like COVID just supercharged and got people more into using the apps. Uh, and that's why it's here to stay. It's become habit now.
0: Well, you know, you're but taking disrupting the industry to a whole nother dimension here, you know, yes, <laughs> with yes. what I'm hearing. Like it's, it's so it's we, we
1: are expanding nationally. Yeah. Right now, so we we've gone into uh, we've gone into Georgia, we've gone into Florida, we've gone into Indiana, we've gone into New York, uh, we've gone into Colorado. We're heading into Texas this month. Uh, we went into the uh, Missouri area earlier this week. So we're expanding throughout the country, and you know it's just a matter of uh, I'm trying to uh, get more restaurants within areas to cluster them so that there's more brand recognition when people are going online, and, and the brand recognition comes in time.
0: So you're looking at more of the major restaurant markets to start, right?
1: You know, it's, it's interesting. The, you would think that the cities like a downtown Chicago would do better than yeah. uh, an outskirt of Atlanta, right? The reality is that's not what happens. Um, the restaurants that tend to do better are the restaurants where there's less competition in the market. So for instance, if you go to downtown Chicago and you put a brand there, there's a lot of restaurants. So everybody's fighting for those spots,
0: right? Yeah, especially um, the exclusivity the thing that you're offering, the territory. That complicates yes. things if it's a super saturated area. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. So when you get into the the suburbs and you get into those markets, it tends to we tend to stand out more, which means the orders come in at a different pace. And in some of our markets, the outside the outskirt markets are better than the city markets.
0: You just mentioned a word that's critical to operators because everybody wants to increase their sales and everyone's got a dedicated crew, but this is a really tough labor market and everybody's complaining about that. And then suddenly if I'm increasing my sales incrementally, do I then need to ramp up my hiring and somehow find additional people to keep up with all this demand and and how do we plan for that because if I push the go button with Virturant today I have no idea how long it's going to take before things really start to kick in and am I going to try and handle it with my existing crew or am I going to try to hire a couple extra people now to anticipate demand like what would you say what's your advice for that? that that's a great question
1: um None of our restaurant partners have had to add a kitchen employee to fulfill our brands. Awesome. The way the orders flow, yeah. the, the, there is a tipping point. There's a tipping point in, our, in how much you do a week based on the hours that you're operating, whether or not you're going to need an additional person. Right now, none of our partners have had to do that. Now, that doesn't mean that their sales weren't there. It's just that the sales come in throughout the day in a much flatter pattern. Or as we say, you know, in, typically you have spikes in a restaurant, right? You get real busy at lunch, Mm -hmm. it's dead. You get real busy at dinner, it's dead. Online, tends to come in in a much better curve. So you're getting orders when your staff is standing around doing nothing for those two hours between lunch and dinner or three hours. Now you're getting orders. And it may only be $100 an hour in orders, which is, you know, three orders, four orders. Sure. But it makes a huge difference at the end of the day for that restaurant. And I'm not talking about restaurants that are doing $7 million a year in sales, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Restaurants that are doing $7 million a year in sales probably aren't going to be looking for partnerships like ours, right? But restaurants, your, your typical average restaurant, yes, because it can add incremental sales. I mean, we have restaurants that go from high-end Italian restaurants to uh, hot dog and hamburger places that are doing $1,000 a day in sales in their brand, and they're doing 1500 a day in like, so, And their staffs are able to handle it because it's more of a flow. It's an even flow as opposed to spikes that are happening.
0: I think that's music to the operators ears to hear that they can keep their staff productive. They don't need to ramp up and it just gives people extra incremental work to do while the incremental sales are happening. That's excellent.
1: Yeah. And one of the, one of the things that tends to happen um, is that the restaurants start to look at, okay, how are the orders flowing? What are we doing? And then if they have any issues with let's, let's say one day, uh, they have a huge funeral luncheon coming in at noon and they know that it's going to be tough for the kitchen to get all the food out the technology allows them to pause their orders on Virturant brands for that period of time. So they can pause their orders. No more orders will come in online. Mm -hmm. And then when they're through their rush, they can reopen it. And it goes right back online, all from the touch of a button on a tablet.
0: So you can actually air traffic control this whole thing to work seamlessly.
1: Yeah. and, And what I always tell our partners is that, listen, your restaurant customer that comes in the door is the most important to your business. All right. We're a new business model within your business, but our business model, you know, when you have someone sitting there waiting for their food and they're in the restaurant, it's a lot different than if somebody is going to get their food delivered to them three or four minutes later, right? Three or four minutes in the restaurant seems like an eternity and, yes, and they're staring you down. Yeah, but yeah, someone yeah, at home this. is waiting for the delivery driver to come. Yeah. It, it, three or four minutes doesn't mean the same thing. Nope. So you need to understand how to manage that. And, and, and every restaurant does manage it really, really well. It doesn't take rocket science. Restaurant operators are great at what they do. And what we did with Vertron is we made it so that they can do what they do best make food. That's what we're great at as restaurant owners. We're not great at marketing. We're not great at figuring out how to get something online, right? We're not great. We're great at making the food. Send me the order. Let me make the food. And that's how it's set up.
0: That's another key caveat. Um, You know, when you're hiring people and you don't know all the answers, you surround yourself with the best people. Same with marketing. Surround yourself with the best marketing opportunities. And, you know, that's the way to run a restaurant. That's great. What's the lead time to pushing the go button? Okay, I'm Joe's Breakfast and Lunch Place, and I'm really intrigued by what I've heard today, and I really (laughs) want to do this. It's like, how long before I'm up and running? And give me the step-by-step.
1: So the step-by-step process is we, we usually have a, well, we have the meeting or a zoom meeting or meet in person. Mm -hmm. Uh, We determine what, what you're looking to do within the first five days, we then get you the different brands and the menus of each brand. And we have a meeting to determine, okay, what brands are we going to go with and what customizations are we going to do? Because there's still some customizations besides the menu items. It's, there might be sides that you offer in your restaurant that you'd like to put on those menus too, because they're highly profitable for you. Maybe you, have, maybe you have pretzel bites. Maybe you do mozzarella cheese sticks uh, that you want to put on there and get more movement out of it. And maybe you get a better price from your distributor then if you have more movement, things like that, that can help your operations, right? Then we go over what drinks do you have? You know, uh, how are you going to want to serve those drinks? Do you do it in bottles? Do you do it by, by uh, a cup? Uh, what size cups do you use? We, we manage all that. We put it all together. We then mail, out, we ship out your tablet and printer uh, for your for your operation, and that's all programmed already, ready to go. And then we, once we have those menus done, we get them submitted up to the third party delivery apps. They get built, and you're up and running within 21 days from the time we we sign the sign the agreement.
0: That's amazing. That's really fast. Yeah, it's wow. super fast. Less than a month. It's,
1: we're probably we're uh, you know I don't know what our competitors are at, but most of them are at like we're at three months from beginning to end we we've got it down to uh 21 days now
0: that's unbelievable
1: so we're we're moving so fast that sometimes our restaurants aren't even ready to go live which is great because once the system's in if the restaurant isn't ready because they they want to go over operations with their kitchen they want to do some things that's okay because it's all electronic so we just turn it on when you're ready everything's in place the tablets are all ready to go we just tell the third-party delivery apps okay hours are open let's go
0: So you're like a brand factory, and I understand you're continually coming up with new brand ideas. Now, I understand that your fulfillment partners have the right of first refusal on these new brands, right? So you bring it to your people within the exclusive territory, and you say, hey, we got a new brand that seems to make sense. Do you want to up and run with this, too? Is that what basically what happens?
1: That's exactly what we do. So, for instance, uh, Sunrise Burritos is a new brand. Uh, It went live last month. So we brought that to all of our partners that that, um, have the ability to do that brand. Right. I mean, a a pizza place probably wouldn't do breakfast burritos, but you never know. So we kind of offer it to everybody and say, you know, if you'd like to do this, uh, they sign on. If they don't sign on with that brand, that brand is now available to bring to any other restaurant in that territory. Because, again, the exclusivity is not to Vertron. The exclusivity is to the brand within Vertron, within the hours of operation.
0: Is there a typical time of delivery or a radius of delivery that makes, it doesn't make any sense beyond say a 15 or 20 minute radius of the drive time once the food is picked up. Is that?
1: Yeah. So, so when we, when we do dedicated territories, Uh the the reason for the dedicated territory is that we're, what we're saying to the, to the operators that we're not going to put another brick and mortar store selling this brand within your radius the third party delivery apps really control how far they go and, and they've gotten much more dynamic. So for instance, if you have a five mile radius uh, that you're covered, the delivery service might go seven miles. They might go 10 miles. It depends on the delivery service and how they operate. It also depends on traffic patterns. So they have, they've gotten so sophisticated that they won't make the brand show on someone that if it takes longer than a certain period of time to get to that home, you won't see the brand on the app. So they really control that part of it. But what we want to make sure is that we're not going to put another partner. We want that partner to get as many orders as they can. Less partners, more orders is a much better model than lots of partners sharing orders, <laughs> right? We don't want that. We want those partners, that original partner to get the most orders. First of all, for consistency, yeah. right? Uh, that consumer is only going to be getting it from that particular store. But there are going to be overlaps to some degree on the delivery territory. So. You might have a restaurant that has a four-mile radius and another restaurant that's seven miles away that's outside that four-mile radius, and they have a 4 So you might have a little bit of an overlap in their delivery territory, but the consumer, the way the apps work, the consumer sees the location that's closest to them, and it tells them how many miles away that
0: location is. Ah, uh, That makes so, sense. Yeah. Convenience for the end consumer <laughs> rules all. <laughs>
1: but again, the technology has gotten so good that we're able to do these things.
0: I also understand you have a new relationship with Kraft and Heinz. Tell me about that.
1: Yes. So um, some of our partners out there have gone the route of, uh, um, I mean, some of our competitors have gone the route of using um, celebrities for their brands. Uh, we haven't gone the celebrity route. What we decided to do is create our own brands. Yes. And then uh, we, Kraft Hines approached us and said, hey, we love what you guys are doing. Um, would you be interested in, uh, being given the licenses to some of our, our branded products and we'll give you the rights to use those products. And then we'll, uh, build a marketing program with your brands and we'll market it for you. Um, within it. So we created the first brands we just created are, are called, uh, it's within our health chicken brand. So we took our health chicken sandwiches and we added the Heinz honey Racha product, which is a new product for them. Mm-hmm. And we added the Heinz 57. So now there's a Honey Rocha chicken sandwich and there's a Heinz 57 chicken sandwich. What Heinz has done is that now we're able to license those products and we're able to market that within our brand. And they're going to be putting up uh, a number of billboards in the Chicago market because we have such a good presence of stores in the Chicago market. They're going to be putting up the billboards with Hell's Chicken Honey Rocha with a chicken sandwich on the billboard so people know they can order from Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber, or our website directly.
0: That's fantastic. Normally,
1: yeah, so it's, it's, it'll be the first the first move into really the, the yeah. uh, using brands as opposed to using celebrities, right? Using a, and Kraft Heinz, obviously everybody knows Kraft Heinz. Of course, uh, they're huge. So now we have the rights to a lot of their other brands. So what we're going to be doing is we we have an A1 steak burger. We have a Heinz 57 burger that'll be part of our Uptown burger brand. Mm-hmm. We have a cream cheese French toast. That'll be a, the Philadelphia cream cheese, strawberry cream cheese, French toast product. And that'll be part of our French toast brand. So there'll be lots of different things, but it also allows us to market it differently and they can market it also. So, and that's why the websites were so important to drive, uh, drive customers to be able to order directly through our websites also so we can market those and oh, sorry, my earpiece fell out.
0: No worries. Um, Yeah, we just keep
1: rolling. (laughs) (laughs) We can market those, and they can market it and drive sales. And so they 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 saw it as, hey, this is a great opportunity for us to get our brands out there, get our product out there into the consumer um, through a different channel that's all new to everybody. Again, changing the dynamic of the
0: whole restaurant industry. Once again, you're turning things upside down. Kirk, we've covered a ton of ground here, and it's been really amazing hearing the whole ins and outs of how this works. And it's like I can't imagine an operator not paying very close attention to this opportunity. Is there anything we've missed that you want to cover?
1: Um, I, I think we covered everything. Um, I'm just trying to think of what, what else there might be. Um, again, we have a number of brands. We, we require our, our restaurant partners to take five brands. Okay. And they're very easy to take because they're all, the ingredients are all crossover. Right. So okay. we require that because we want them to be successful. Right. We want them to uh, get a good, a good start. Uh, what we do also is like, we have some customers, some fulfillment partners that look at it and say, starting five brands at once, is kind of tough. You know, is that going to be a problem for us? And I'm like, it won't be a problem, but here's what we can do. Pick two of the brands. Let's start two of the brands this particular week. And then, Okay, you still have the three other brands. All right, get settled. Make sure your guys are good. Make sure everybody's happy. And then we'll turn the other brands on two weeks from now. And so we had that ability because of the technology to do things like that. That's so awesome. the whole idea is to work with that operator. Right. It's about the operator in the end. It's about bringing the profitability to those operators, making sure that they're making money on everything. And in most cases, their profitability is better on the products that they they get, the orders they get through Virturant. Then the orders they actually get it in their restaurant, and and that's and that's when we show them that it's like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, no, it's just it's a different marketplace online, it's a different pricing level.
0: This has been awesome. I so appreciate you being a guest on the podcast, Kirk. You've brought this whole thing to the forefront and the technology. It's amazing how technology just keeps moving forward and how it literally turns things upside down. Like I said, it disrupts industries, it improves efficiencies, productivity, sales, all that kind of stuff. And you're kind of at the heart of that. So thank you yeah. for showing up.
1: And, you know, it's it's funny, one thing to add is that, you know, we when we started the company, you know, a while ago, we um we were looking trying to figure out okay, who are we gonna hire, what are the different spots that we need. Mm-hmm. And in a matter of the last six months, the technology has changed so much that some of those jobs that we thought we needed are literally obsolete now. So it's it's even a challenge on our end. And the restaurants are running into the same challenges. Right, and and that's where people are walking in, and we're we're running into the same challenge of, okay, what are we going to be needing? You know, is the technology going to move faster than where we're at? Things like that, and we're always staying ahead of it with our 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 different technology partners we use.
0: And you probably have your own dedicated IT team that stays ahead of all this too, right, to make sure uh, everything is smooth and seamless.
1: Yeah, we we, we use we use a lot of uh, third, uh, we use a lot of and uh, we outsource a lot of that. Yep. Um, to make sure because the the they're much more adept at it at this point, And we yeah, kind of, they're the
0: experts, right? They're the pros. Yeah. And
1: we're the experts on the restaurant side. So we've actually helped them, um, become better because we go to them and say, Hey, here's the different things that we need. Here's what restaurants really need. And these technology companies don't really know that because they're, they're not in that. They didn't hire somebody. They hired technology people, which is great, but you need somebody in that, in that group that says, no, this is what a restaurant really needs. This is how it needs to show up on a ticket. This is how it needs to print. And you know, you can't you just have a technology guy say that. You have to make sure that the, you have somebody that understands a restaurant operation to get that
0: correct. That is unbelievable. Well, thank you again for showing up and being a part of the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Thanks to our audience for sticking with us and we're going on episode, I think, 245. So this wow. is great. And we certainly appreciate the uh, the audience support. Thanks to our sponsor, Dawn Professional Dish Liquid. And we will see you in the next episode. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. See you next time. Guys, that was a fascinating episode and I can't imagine why you wouldn't take a closer look at this because again, we're all looking to increase sales and profits in our restaurants. It's kind of ingenious, isn't it? Having multiple brands, you don't need to add extra staff, just multiple brands all marketing the same menu items just across multiple platforms. It's pretty cool. So Thanks for checking that out. Listen, I talk about this all the time, but your restaurant really needs systems. Now's the time as we emerge from this pandemic to build a stronger, more profitable restaurant business. Why not reach out to me and we'll just talk shop. No obligation, of course. Roger, R O G E R at restaurantrockstars.com. We'll talk about the three fundamentals whether that's cost controls and maximizing profit, staff training, development, recognizing and rewarding your best people to create what I call your dream team, or marketing firepower and affinity. Are any challenges that you're experiencing that are keeping you up at night? Just reach out to me, Roger, R-O-G-E-R, at restaurantrockstars.com. I'd be glad to jump on a quick call with you and discuss your challenges. So thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to, to the, the Restaurant, Restaurant Rockstars, Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com.
1: See you next time.